it's this very macho culture. Like you can sleep when you're dead. And if you're out having fun, that means you're not focused on your company. So that means you're not a serious entrepreneur. You know, all of these like negative mentalities that come with owning a business. And I don't think that's so true anymore because women are kind of um, getting better in the industry and there's more prominence for women in the industry now. But like back then, yeah. And I I didn't know too many women I could connect with and talk about these issues. and, And it just wasn't serving me. You're listening to the MILF Podcast. This is the show where we talk about motherhood and sexuality with amazing women with fascinating stories to share on the joys of being a MILF. Now here's your host, the milfiest MILF I know, Jennifer Tracy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is MILF Podcast, the show where we talk about motherhood, entrepreneurship, sexuality, and everything in between. I'm your host, Jennifer Tracy. Today on the show, we have Namisha Gandhi. Namisha is a nutritionist. Her company is called Moon Cycle Nutrition. And what's so interesting about that is that she was really, and we kind of got into this a little bit, she really knows a lot about the women's menstrual cycle, moon cycle. And she talked a lot about that and about how that affects certain things and nutritionally, and she's trained in Ayurvedic medicine. We just had a really fun conversation. So I really hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Namisha. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Hi, Namisha. Hello. Uh, so just before we hit record, I we were talking about Namisha's. Am I am I saying it properly? Perfectly. We were talking yeah. about her name and how people probably butcher it. I was asking to make sure the pronunciation. And you were about to say when I was a little kid, and then you yeah. stopped yourself. What what were you yeah. gonna say? Yeah, when I was a little kid, even the teachers couldn't get it right. They would say like Namisha or I don't know, yeah. some weird um, pronunciation. And I would just go along with them like, yeah, that's my name. And, I lo- uh, and my name is spelled N-I-M-I-S-H-A. And people kept saying Namisha. Um, and so I just started spelling it N-A-M-I-S-H-A. Uh, and I like I would take on these different identities with my name as a seven, eight-year-old, 10-year-old. Um, and then I got over and I was like, no, my name is Namisha. <laughs> you yeah. know, and I started owning yeah. it. But for a long time, I would, yeah, not own my name. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we do that. I think too, like, I know, you know, my kid's nine and a half and I'm seeing a lot of that. Like he wants to be like the other kids. And I remember mm-hmm. that feeling for a long time. Like I want to yeah. be like the other kids. I don't want to be I don't want to be me. And then at some point, hopefully, you know, in a healthy way, we start to go, no, 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 wait, I want to be individual. I want to be different. (laughs) But sometimes that takes longer. So you came to me through Alicia, which is so exciting. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're also in Northern California. Yes, I live in San Francisco. Okay, right. And tell me, tell me about where, where you're from. Like, let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? Yeah. I was born in the Bay Area, um, not too far from where I live, um, I, in a suburb called Hayward, which is close to Oakland. And I know most okay. people recognize Oakland. Um, <laughs> yes, I was born and raised there. Um, and then I moved away to go to college um, to UCLA. And that was like the first time I ever left my home. Um, yeah. But then I eventually moved back to the Bay Area. Nice. Yeah. And, and what did you study at UCLA? Psychobiology, pre-med psychobiology with minor in Spanish. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So you were going to be a doctor? Yes, because that's what, that's the only thing I knew to be. Um, So my parents came, my dad came um, to America in the 70s from India and um, they weren't very um, wealthy in India and they were basically escaping poverty to come here and um, they worked really hard and my whole life I've been told that like you're going to be the one to graduate from college and you're going to you know become a doctor and it was like this whole honor thing and I thought that's what I really wanted until I got to medical, I mean, I started studying pre-med and I still thought I was going to become a doctor. 
I just had an awakening and realized that I wanted to do something alternative in the healthcare field. Mm. Can you tell me about the awakening? What happened? Was it an event that happened? Yeah, a lot of things. So, you know, it was the first time I went away from home. I grew up in a very tight-knit Indian family, first-generation American. Um, And so, you know, I was always balancing this world of trying to be American and Indian. And my cousins lived right across the street. Um, I grew up with my grandparents and my parents and my brother in one house. Um, and so when I got to college, it was just like a whole different world. It was the first time where I was eating American food every single day and not Indian food. And, um, I got sick actually. I I got IBS, Mm. um, which is actually very common for college age students. And then I was trying to navigate like whoa, what's going on with my health? And um, why am I gaining weight? You know, I, I mean, I did gain the freshman 15. um, But it just felt so icky. Like I didn't feel good in my body because it wasn't good weight. And um, then I got, you know, then I started exploring um, alternative healthcare, um, just being in LA. And I think everyone's talking about different diets and modeling. And I, I tried out the whole modeling thing too while I was in college. And like, you know, when you're in UCLA and away from your parents, just try everything. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so anyways, I got sick and I couldn't, you know, they're like the doctors wanted to put me on antidepressants, and I was like, "Wait, that doesn't make sense. I'm having gut issues, and I, I couldn't understand that." And um, what was there? What was the reasoning? Did they explain to you why? Yeah, and it's actually still commonly prescribed okay. for people with IBS. It's because you um, produce a lot of serotonin in your gut, and um, so they thought if they gave you antidepressants, it would up level the serotonin in your gut, and you wouldn't experience. Um, symptoms of IBS. That was the reasoning, but I enrolled in the study at UCLA that was looking at meditation IBS. And I was like, wow, that's cool. I, I know about meditation. I think it comes from India, you know, <laughs> like I had this whole like ancestral thing going. And so I was like, okay, I'll try it out. And it was a really cool study. And um, I've always been in tune with my body, like just knowing when something is off. So I just started looking at different healthcare um, modalities to deal with my health issues. And um, towards the end of college, my grandparents got really ill and they kind of got lost in the hospital um, system, you know, just Mm. couldn't get a proper diagnosis and a series of events that made me really unhappy with our medical care system, Mm. you know, Mm. like 15 minute appointments, not looking at the whole history. Um, uh, my mom was mugged when I was 16 years old, mm. which left her left arm um, severely damaged to the point where now she can't turn it and she's oh. in a lot of pain. Yeah. And so I saw that too. And I saw the pain my mom was going through and just all of these things. And I just, it was like, oh, I, I can't feed into the system, you know? And mm. As soon as I said, like, I'm not going to medical school, um, I'll find something else. I found Ayurvedic medicine. Um, and there was a school in West Hollywood. Um, so I was able to finish up my bachelor's and go to that school on the weekends. Um, wow. And, yeah. That's impressive. That's no small feat. How long <laughs> was that program? It was 18 months. Um, it, yeah. Yeah, it was really, it changed my life. Yeah. And so can you talk a little bit about Ayurvedic medicine? I know very little bit and, and um, you know, for my, for my listeners also, can you tell me what kind of the basis is? Yeah. Yeah. Ayurvedic medicine is actually 5,000 years old. Um, even Chinese medicine stems from Ayurvedic medicine. And it's based on the mm-hmm. principles of each person and each living thing has characteristics. And um, there are three characteristic types, the vata, pitta, and kapha. And everyone has different ratios of these characteristics. So some people can be vata dominant, some people can be pitta dominant, and some people can be kapha. And you all have, everyone has like a, a different ratio. So it's very rare to find a tridoshic, meaning someone who's equal each dosha um, 
but you know, a Vata person is someone who's usually very tall or very petite and has like curly hair and has like qualities of like air. Like you think of them as like a bird, like Mm. their spirit animal would be a bird. Um, Mm. And they're like the artsy and creative types. They're your actors and painters and dancers, um, like super creative people. They're even the healers because healing is very creative. And then pittas are very dominant and they're fiery, you know, and their spirit animal would be a lion. Um, and they are very, they're the, dis, they're decisive and they usually follow a path of like a CEO or a politician or a lawyer, just a very strong role. And, um, their qualities are like, um, you know, like more fire heat. Um, they tend to get overheated and, um, kafas, their spirit animal, I would say is an elephant. They're very gentle and loving. They're they're of a, a bigger bone structure. Um, they are more. They tend to be nurses and caregivers and caretakers. Wow, I'm thinking of all the people I know. I'm fitting everyone into that category, <laughs> yeah. including myself. <laughs> yeah, and so then now you use these personality types and traits, and not just personality, but like the inner phys- physiology too, to mm. heal and bring balance into your body. So in Ayurveda, like someone who has anxiety would tend to be a vata person. And then you look out in nature, so like increases like. So you look out in nature, what would have, like which foods have vata quality? Those mm. are the foods that a vata person would tend to avoid so like salads are airy they're very light and they're dry so that would increase avata right Mm -hmm. so what you know what's balancing for avata is like root vegetables it's bringing Mm -hmm. them back to the ground and so it's a really beautiful science you you know to become an ayurvedic doctor you go to school for 10 years um and then you do all this training so it's it's really intense and beautiful and um and it's a great way to heal because it's so personalized. Yeah, it sounds so personalized and so gentle and nurturing. And so wait a minute, though. I want to go back to West Hollywood and graduating UCLA. So you graduate UCLA with this basically a dual degree with a minor in Spanish, right? <laughs> yeah. Incredible, incredible. And you finish this 18-month uh, Ayurveda program. Am I saying it right? Mm-hmm. Ayurveda? Yeah, okay. Ayurveda. Yeah. Then what happens? And how old are you at this point? 22. So I graduate at 22. Like, yeah. And um, I stay back in LA because I'm in love and with the with LA, not a person. It's easy to fall in love with LA. Yeah. um, You know, I was definitely taken away by the glitz and glamour. I mean, I was going to school and then I had a best friend and her and I were just partying every single night in Hollywood and going to these like fancy parties and, you know, and then doing these like little modeling gigs on the weekend. It was a lot of fun. Um, And so I couldn't go back home to my traditional family. Who... They are very cool. They're like more modern than a, a typical Indian family. But sure. But any just, family, you know, when you're 22, yeah. you need to yeah. spread your wings. Most, most 22 year olds, they want to, they want to have that. Like we were talking about the independence. You want to, you want to be apart from, you know, at that moment. Right. Yeah. So I wasn't ready to go back. So I, I hung around in LA and um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with Ayurveda because yoga was just becoming a thing. This is Mm. like, you know, 2005. So, you you know, even yoga wasn't widespread. So I was like, right now, what do I do with this? Who's going to hire me? And I didn't think of to start my own practice. Like that didn't seem like something I could do. Uh Um, So I went back to, um, I just continued doing the research work I was doing at UCLA. I was working in um, clinical trials um, at UCLA, and that was fun for a while. And I was running research studies, and I ended up doing that for five years. And um, wow. I started 
Yeah. Um, because I'm still figuring out what I wanted to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. What kind yeah. of, uh, I don't know if you're allowed to say now that it's passed, but like what kind of clinical trials were they? Oh yeah. They were, um, part of, um, the addiction, um, center at UCLA. And so I was working in phase one, phase two trials of, with people addicted to cocaine and, uh, methamphetamine. And wow. yeah. Um, which, I don't know. It's just something that fell in to me. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not something I was like, Oh, I'm going to work here, but it just worked out and I ended up staying there. And yeah, so it was really cool. I got to work one-on-one with patients and then I got to eventually write studies and then um, got on the other regulatory side where then now I was trying to secure grants um, to fund these studies. But, you know, even doing these studies, I just felt like, okay, it's really cool. We're trying to help people, but it was very pharmaceutical. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, okay, let's get people off of cocaine by giving them this drug, mm-hmm. this other, you know, drug. Mm-hmm. And that also didn't resonate with me. And especially mm-hmm. as my um, practice with Ayurveda became stronger and stronger and my understanding of medicine from a holistic view. And mm-hmm. I just started seeing that and like, maybe this is people need a, a, a drug in between, but they need so much more to not be addicted. And so, you know, my calling towards like a more holistic um, medicine just kept getting stronger and stronger. Yeah. So you did that for five years and then, and then what, what happened after that? Um, I moved back to the Bay area. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved back in with my parents Um my grandfather was really sick and I just, um, you know, my grandfather was like my dad also, cause we lived in the same house and I was, I was clearly his favorite. <laughs> and so I just, <laughs> I just needed to be there with mm. them. Uh, yeah. And then shortly after that, my grandmother passed away. And so I just needed to be, um, home. And then I started just creating a life for myself in the Bay area. And did you open a practice at that time? No. 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 <laughs> I um, I was like, okay, I'm going to go back and become a dietitian because okay. that seemed more doable. And so I, you know, but something kept holding me back from actually following through with it. Like I took the GREs, I applied, but then I was just like something. And then, mm. you know, I started coming to San Francisco to party Um Cause I was like, I'm still young and I need to go out clubbing and find a boyfriend and, you know, do all this stuff. So that's exactly what I did. I started, um, partying in San Francisco. I met a whole group of friends who eventually then I met my husband at, a um, in Sausalito and we just started dating and, um, it was a very quick and fast romance and we got married and I kind of got swept away with this life because he was like this big tech guy and I'm just this girl, you know, I just, I just felt like I was this girl, like who's coming from LA and has a whole different view of the world. And when you come to San Francisco, the view is so different from LA. Like people here are talking about, um, technology to save the world and, and like AI for this and an app for this. And I was like, what is this world? You know? And I was a little swept away by it because in, I feel like in San Francisco, when you're young, these big tech guys are like celebrities, <laughs> you uh, know, like in, in LA, I was like, oh yeah, like I'm hanging out at this cool party with this actor and that. And now I'm like in San Francisco, hanging out this house party with this tech dude and right. that, you know, and it was like this whole different. Sure. There's like a status piece of it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you're young and impressionable, you're just like, oh, this is cool. Maybe mm-hmm. this is what, um. I'm supposed to do with my life, like mm-hmm. maybe do something in tech or I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, um, so anyway, my husband and I had a, a really quick, um, courtship before he proposed to me. And then we ended up getting married and him being in tech and doing, um, a company after another company, he was all, and gaming was really big at this time. So he was mm. like, let's do a gaming company together. And I was like, well, okay, I'll help you out with it. But I think I'm going to stick to like nutrition and food. And Mm -hmm. so at the same time, we're starting this gaming company. I also started a blog. um, 
and teaching people how to shop at the farmer's market and just be like kind of take control of their food and their bodies Mm -hmm. and really care about the environment through the food we eat. And Mm -hmm. so I had started this blog and I was doing these events and I was taking people to the farmer's market to teach them how to shop there. And then I got, um, I got like the local cookbooks and then I, contacted the authors of the cookbooks and I was like I'm gonna have a cookbook party around your book you want to be involved (laughs) and you know and so I like made this like very social club um, blog and that was fun but then you know the gaming thing started taking off too and um, we got funding for our games and you know, we had this beautiful um, office in downtown on the 20th floor overlooking the sweeping views of the bay. And I was like, oh, okay, now I'm the CEO of a gaming company. <laughs> and mm. Uh, mm. and it was just like this whole different world uh, role that I was taking on. And I think I was really taking it on because um, that's what my husband wanted. Mm. And he is older than me, um, like much older. He's about 13 years older. So I was like, okay, he knows what he's doing. And I'm not really making money off of this blog. And, Mm. you know, I just, I was very unsure of myself um, Mm. and just not confident in what I wanted. And I kept not listening to my intuition of what I wanted. But the gaming thing, you know, was really interesting and it was fun. And I got to learn so much about fundraising, running a company, being a woman in a very, very male-dominated industry, first of all, gaming, and then um, just Silicon Valley. And, sure. and then this is like eight years ago. So very different than the landscape today, actually. Yeah. But then, you know, that was just unsustainable. I got, um, I just couldn't deny my intuition anymore. Yeah. And my husband and I were having problems because we're working together. We were newlyweds. Now we're working together. And then all the pressure of a company, it just, I couldn't do it anymore. So I left it. Um, and I went um, to a holistic nutrition school here in Berkeley and I was like, okay. And then I started doing that and it was awesome. I was like, I felt like I was getting back to myself and then I got pregnant um, while, I, <laughs> while I was at nutrition school, which was fine. It was like the best thing to be pregnant while you're going to nutrition school. Yeah. And, um, I was surrounded by like the best people and the best mentors and yeah. And then, so that was <laughs> what I did after I left LA. <laughs> wow. You're in nutrition school, you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. And can I ask just to back up a second? Yeah. You said you weren't, you didn't, you weren't allowing yourself to listen to your intuition that was telling you what you really wanted to do. What was that? What was that little itch or that little whisper? What was it saying to you? Like what was calling to you that you were kind of ignoring? Yeah. It was just saying that I'm not in the right place. Right. Um, I'm not, I'm not happy. I I was deeply unhappy. Like Mm. I just, I was like, this is not the life I envisioned when I got married. Um, Mm. I didn't envision, working around the clock. I, I And that that goes against everything I've learned in Ayurveda and just my own intuition, like not taking care of your body. And it was like, again, it was this, it's this very macho culture. Like you can um, sleep when you're dead. And mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're out having fun, that means you're not focused on your company. So that means you're not a serious entrepreneur, you know, um, like mm-hmm. all of these like negative mentalities that come with owning a business. And I don't think that's so true anymore because women are kind of um, getting better in the industry and there's more prominence for women in the industry now. But like back then, yeah. And I, did, I didn't know too many women I could connect with and talk about these issues. And, and it just wasn't serving me. I started gaining weight. I, um, I couldn't even think clearly. And I knew I wasn't following my passion. It was just like a, a knowing. And it would get really intense like mm. the week before my period. And I'm like, mm. oh my God. And I, I would blame it on my like PMSing or something. And, um, but I, it, that wasn't. And now I know that the closer you are to your period, your intuition is heightened. And uh, at that time, I just wasn't listening to it. You know, yeah, I just wasn't sure. listening to my body and my intuition. And so when I said enough was enough, and then I got all these signs from the universe, right? Like, I met this woman who we would go to her restaurant a lot. And then she went to the nutrition school and I would just like keep like meeting people who would 
keep talking about this nutrition school. And I was yeah. like, okay, okay, back burner, back burner. And then I just like couldn't ignore it anymore. And so I had to, and then I was like, I'm doing this. That's awesome. And so then your son was born. You have a, you have a little boy. I have a little boy who will be five in like oh my four gosh. days. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I know. So what was that like when, when he's born, you have, you're in the middle of this nutrition school, you're feeling great. And then your son is born. And what was that like? Yeah. So while I was pregnant, I felt amazing. Like I was a poster child for a pregnancy. Um, it was a surprise pregnancy. And um I just, I was really surprised. And then the first month I was sick, you know, just the nausea and just confusion. Like, why yeah. am I pregnant? <laughs> you know, because I was surrounded by so many great nutrition professionals, like um, one of my nutrition teachers, mentors, she took me and she was like, you have to start eating meat. You're not eating enough meat. And then so I was like, okay, I started eating meat and red meat, something I hadn't eight since I was like 10, I gave it up and um, all my nausea went away. I got my strength while I was in nutrition school. I was teaching a nutrition high school program in the mission. And so I was like on my feet talking to these like really wild teenagers about eating well, you know? And so I'd come home and I was exhausted. I had like lost 10 pounds in my first month of pregnancy. Wow! So that didn't seem right. But then, you know, my nutrition teacher pulled me over and she's like, you need to start eating meat and drink some bone broth. And I started doing that and I felt great. And after that pregnancy was amazing. Everyone was like, wow, like they would literally stop me. And I think I did feel really great. So tell me what happens when, when the baby comes, how, first of all, how was the birth? So, um, I had a home birth because I was now very immersed in this holistic lifestyle (laughs) in San Francisco. And one of our um, friends just had a home birth the year before, and she was like really advocating it. And um, it just really resonated. So I got um, a midwife um, and a doula, had a home birth. I created a beautiful sanctuary in our um, apartment. Basically, we converted our dining room into this birthing room. And it's filled with cherry blossoms and flowers. And just, you know, when we had this um, rented a, a birthing pool and put it in the middle and it just and then on the wall I had affirmations saying your vagina is big enough you could do this you know all these like positive affirmations and the whole time I'm listening to beautiful music um, but it was a long birth it was 36 hours oh my gosh wow yeah. And you had a midwife and a doula, or I would assume some yeah. combination of that. Okay. Yeah, I had two midwives and a doula. Wow, and, great! And um, it was and really. And your husband beautiful. was there, was and he, he part was of there. It? Yeah. Yes, and he was a part of it, and it was a beautiful. It was long, and at one point, like a lot of issues from my marriage actually arose during the birth. And I had heard that I had heard um, that like, if you don't resolve your issues, they can actually make the birth process go longer. Mm-hmm. And we did, we were having a lot of issues before I got pregnant. And that's why I was so surprised, you know, because I, I wasn't even sure if I was going to stay in this marriage. And, right. um, but during pregnancy, everything was great. Like we were both very just happy with each other. And so I think during the birthing, like the kind of some of the trauma from the marriage came up and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm about to have a child with this person and we're not even in alignment about so many things. And so I think that really prevented me from fully pushing my son out. I think I was holding back and I, I, I realized that. And I think at one point, and like my husband, he's, he's older and he's like, he's a gentleman, you know, and he wants to do everything. And I'm like a bird. I'm like, give me my space. And, um, he's like the elephant. I'm the bird. And it's like, he's like, drink this date shake. Cause you know, like, cause he thought I was thirsty and I'm like, I don't want this right now. I'm pushing like, and he's like, you know, or I'm going through a contraction. He's like putting my, and then at one point he had like a plate full of food that he brought for me. And I took the plate and I just threw it and I went shattering across. the room. (laughs) (laughs) And my doula looked at me and she took him aside and she was like, just don't come into the room for a while. 
Yeah. And, um, which is what I needed because I needed my space. Um, and that's part of my personality too. And so, but you know, we then had this beautiful birth. He, he did catch the baby and cut the cord. And, um, it was really interesting because you hear all these romantic stories about home births. And I'm all for them and I'm still all for home births. And I think people should have the birth that they want, whether it's at home, whether it's a C-section, I, I'm all for all kinds of births. I support it. And um, But there is this romantic notion of home births and they don't tell you that, you know, when you are at home birth, it is the environment you create, but there aren't a lot of people around. So as soon as my midwives and my doula left, it was just my husband, the baby and I. And we were like, and it's four in the morning. And we're like, um, now what? So it's just the yeah. three of you at home alone. Yeah. And it's terrifying. <laughs> right? right. Like we're like, um, okay. And I'm exhausted. And I felt gross. Like I felt like I wanted to shower, you know, and um, I wasn't sure if I was allowed to. And, um, but we did end up getting into well, no, that. Why did the, why did they leave? Why did they leave you? Why didn't they stay or someone else? That's how, yeah. okay. Yeah. That's just how it works. You okay, know, they gotcha. were, I mean, and they were, they were exhausted too. They were with me for so such a long time for 36 hours. Yeah. And, um, and my, and they also knew my parents were coming. So, um, my parents live across the bridge, less than 45 minutes away. So they knew that my parents were coming too. And, um, we had already planned for my mom to kind of move in right after I gave birth to support me in that first month. And so still like that first five hours, my parents didn't come till like 8am the next day. So, um, I was like, um, okay. But then it was really nice because I was so exhausted, but all I did was stare at the baby. Uh, and you know and I was like whoa there's this baby who's just sleeping and he's here and um so it was really sweet um and then my mom moved in and um it's very traditional she like had already planned to make all these traditional foods and I was like whatever you make it has to be gluten-free and dairy-free and you know just like okay (laughs) um and um yeah but it was really nice to have her there and that postpartum phase and yeah. um, I, it was really interesting but then I became a crazy mom where like no I must nurse my baby and I must hold my baby all the time and no one like the baby must not touch a surface like the baby must be held the whole time I don't know what I was thinking and just all these things you hear about attachment parenting um, and um, it made me crazy and then I had it um, and then I had a lot of postpartum anxiety too because I was like, oh, I wanted to be a badass nutritionist, but now I'm a mom and I can't, I can't, like, am I going to finish school? Am I, am I going to ever do anything with my life? You know, like all those thoughts. And then it's like, I don't know what to do with this baby. Um, I definitely had a lot of postpartum anxiety. Um, just like I was getting mad at my mom for holding my baby the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like things like that. Or, um, and I was so adamant about breastfeeding the entire time. And um, and then I breastfed for so long that he wouldn't even take a bottle. And so then I ended up nursing him and nursing him and nursing him. And it was just, it was wild. Like, I still reflect back on that time. And I was just like, wow, if I could have just taken a chill pill. You know, if I could. Well, <laughs> yes. I mean, I actually so relate to that. And I, but the thing is, we, we can't, we can't. I mean, there, there right. isn't a chill pill. And everything you are experiencing is so normal and so much more common than we know. But, and when we're mm-hmm. in that moment, my experience is this mm-hmm. I felt like I was the only mother in the world who'd ever experienced the, the feelings of anxiety, the feelings of not or unworthiness, the feelings of, my baby's going to get sick and die if we go out in the world. Like I, the whooping cough, there was a whooping cough epidemic and there was a swine flu epidemic when he was an infant and he hadn't, he was too young to have had any vaccinations yet. And I was terrified and we would go if we went anywhere, which is rare because I was terrified to go anywhere. Sometimes people do this thing with infants. It drives me crazy. I still see it happen where they put their fingers in the infant's mouth. They think because the the infant's always looking for a nipple to latch on to, right? So they put their finger in. The, they're like, "Oh, look, he's sucking on my finger." I'm like, "Yeah, get your 
fucking finger away from my kid's mouth. Like when, when was the last time you washed your hands? And even if you did, but my point is going back to the, you know, looking back and wishing you could take a chill pill. I so relate to that. And it's unfortunate that we don't have things in place where there's more support for someone in your circle or on your team or whatever to say, Oh, what you're feeling is this and it's normal and it's okay. And you know, here's how we can support you or here's, here's a, here's a Ayurvedic version of a chill pill or whatever it is, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. Cause I'm sure that's what you do now. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And, um, and that was the hard part for me. I was like, I should know this stuff. That's because, the thing too. We right? do that. Like, yeah. You know, cause I'm, I'm this health professional. Like I should know this. Like I know I'm into holistic medicine. And so it's like this added pressure. And, you know, there were some dark times. <laughs> but it was. Also- did you think about harming yourself at any time, or did you have any? Like when you say dark, that's what I think of. I yeah yeah. I mean, like I just I remember when I was just like crying and crying and crying, and I would wait for my husband to come home, and like wait now you're home, things are better. You know, thinking that like he'll just take the baby or. um I just, I don't know. Um, And there was a lot of conflict in like what my intuition was saying, what society was saying, what my husband's perception of things, you know? And so I was like, ah, I just, you know, there was like a whirlwind of like, what do I do? And, you know, some like a few things I wish moms said to other moms, like, you know, before you even give birth, form a mom's group or join a mom's group because it's going to be so much harder to do it in the After. first month, oh right? yeah. Yes. yeah like I didn't even know um and things like that or like yeah get your support circle and my friends at the time were having children too but they were going through their own shit like my girlfriend who lives a, literally around the corner from me she had just given four birth four months before and she had a, tra- a very traumatic hospital birth and so her recovery was really long and so I didn't feel like I could go to her you know um and and people saw me, they would come and visit me and they were like, wow, you just look so amazing, you know, because I had given this home birth and I was in this like robe. And I think on the outside, I did look really great. But mm-hmm. on like, you know, it was just kind of this paradox of like, yes. you can look great, but not feel great. Yes. And yeah. when did you ultimately ask for help to get out of it? Did it just fade on its own? What was the... Yeah, it didn't. I mean, I... I've always had a therapist. So in that first year, I kind of avoided my therapist too. I'm like, I don't have time to see you. And I don't know, like there are a lot of like um, mental games that you play with yourself. But then um, I did have a couple of self consults with her and that was nice. And then I think at some point I started, like I remember when my son was about 10 months old, I actually went out with my girlfriend for a couple of hours and that was like the first time I went out for fun um on my own and that felt okay and um just kind of starting to step out a little bit and also getting more in tune with my work um just you know I did uh, at this point I had finished up the nutrition school and kind of becoming a little more passionate about again my career goals um that and then seeing my therapist consistently going to more yoga classes and just doing all the things and getting like starting to cook again I don't think I really even cooked for myself because I was like too I mean like I would make omelets I make like quick dishes but I used to love to cook and so like starting that again and just all of that but you know what really helped me get over it is cannabis (laughs) Oh, really? Talk about that. Tell me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like the, that anxiety, I mean, by this time, my husband, was, um, my husband, my son was like almost three and I still had this lingering anxiety and this lingering, even depression, I would say, like it wouldn't fully go away. And um, this was when cannabis was becoming more legal. Mm-hmm. And more and more just of it, like um, dispensaries were opening up and people were just starting to talk about it. And I went to this women's conference where I was a health coach there. And then I met this woman who was going to start um, a cannabis company for women dealing with health 
dealing with health issues. And then she and I just had this like instant bond and she's like, Oh, I, you know, I want you involved in this company. And so I started learning a lot from her. And before then I hadn't even gotten high in college. Like I just, like I was, I, I tried it a couple of times and I had a weird reaction. So I never went back to it. I didn't have like, I had these one-off moments with cannabis, but not like a medicinal experience with it. And right. so then I started, you know, just a little bit playing around with it and seeing what felt right. I did all my research because then I was still too anxious. I was like, what would that mean for me as a mother using cannabis? And mm-hmm. uh, but then it's like, then it, like people came out of the woodwork. They were like, my other moms were like, yeah, we use it. Like, yeah, you know, and I'm like, oh, oh, there's mm-hmm. a whole club that I didn't know about. And um, so I started learning more about it and using um, like tinctures and drops that wouldn't really make me high, but just kind of mm-hmm. make me um, calm. And so mm-hmm. that, that was like the edge that really pushed me out of it. I think mm-hmm. it was like that final thing that I needed. Wow. Um, and so you are using this and it's helping you so much with your anxiety and, and, mm-hmm. and, and postpartum. And then you open this, you're part of this company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens with your own nutritionist? Oh, company? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't fully join her company. I just didn't. Yeah. I, you know, now at this point, I'm really listening to my intuition and my intuition was like, okay, you know, um, we're here to support each other, but not necessarily build something. And at this, also at this time, I just really dropped in with my um, instincts. And, um, you know, again, my husband and I were like, just not doing well. Like we, you know, just like newborn, we still had our old shit that we never dealt with. And so I started going to women's circles and like moon circles, like where you gather around the new moon and do a ceremony. And I started really tapping into, I basically found a whole new set of friends who were like these goddesses who knew about their intuition. And I went back to listening to my intuition and I started realizing, yeah, my periods helped me so much, you know, like um, how to thrive. And so I, I realized that I get even more anxious and neurotic right before my period and I'm like that happy super calm mom right after my period and I started leveraging that and I created a woman festo which is basically a thing I need around um, my cycle so you know right before my period I I need the garbage taken out I need the kitchen spotless and I need either my husband gets our um, house cleaner to do it or he does it but I can't be the one to tell him that like there better not be any laundry on the floor. Like, and especially at that time and that's how they can support me, you know, and even my mother, like this is the time when my mom, my mom and I shouldn't get into heavy conversations about family drama or whatever it is, you know, the triggers and, you know, and so I started learning to kind of tweak my life around my cycle just to thrive which caused me to create Moon Cycle Nutrition, which is now my nutrition practice because it's all, you know, we are energetically tied to the moon as women, whether we realize it or not. And like just following that ancient wisdom of the moon cycle to live our best lives. So I really was passionate about that. And I started um, working in that. And then in that time, I um, became a meditation teacher. I did a training. Um, It was the first weekend I had left my son to do the training. Um, and by this time, he was already three. And I was like, I nursed him till he was three. But on his third birthday, I was like, this is the last time. And we made a thing of it. And, you know, said goodbye to the mom. <laughs> and that was it. And then um, it, it really freed me up also to do a lot more. Sure. Of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm still channeling all this creative energy from motherhood. And now um, just more sanity to do what I really wanted to do. So then I created Moon Cycle Nutrition and I work with teens. Um, I work with young girls to women who are struggling with their fertility. Mm. Yeah. So you work with them one-on-one? Yeah. So I, I several things, several ways. I am a board of advisor for um, Conscious Kitchen, which is a nonprofit bringing chef prepared 
organic meal to underserved schools. Alice Waters, who's a big advocate, also is on the board as well. And so through that, I'm able to get in front of a very young um, audience. And sometimes I'll teach a workshop or something or just be really involved. And then um, I do have one-on-one clients like where parents are coming to me like, okay, my child just started her period how can we navigate this in a very positive and empowering way and Mm. that's my goal to empower young girls to feel so confident in their bodies because a lot of my confidence issues come from that right like I was shamed for having my period I was embarrassed you know that one time my uh, pad leaked through my jeans in school and I had to walk around with a sweater tied around my head. We've all been there. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like, so just to empower girls so they can become empowered women and not just hate themselves for something that's so beautiful and, um, and not go through the whole trauma of like, okay, now I'm in my thirties and I have to do all these ceremonies and travel around the world to discover myself. Like, um, why not start when they're, young. Um, And another thing I'm seeing in a clinical perspective is that um, children are getting um, adult diseases now and conditions. And so I'm really passionate about like helping them prevent that or work through it. So I had Mm. this one client that when she was 13, she got IBS. Mm. and, um, And I got it when I was like 19. So she developed uh, tachycardia, which left her to be in the wheelchair half the time. What is tachycardia again? It is when you have, um, it's like when you have low blood pressure and it causes Uh you to faint. Oh, wow. And and there's different versions of it and different Mm. levels of it. Mm. But um, she was having all these symptoms. And what was really interesting that, her dad reached out to me to work with me, you know, to basically hire me as a nutritionist um, for his clinic. And he, once he started talking to me, he was like, Oh my gosh, you need to help my daughter. So here's a GI doctor. And he was like, I need you to help my daughter. And I worked with her. And ever since I've worked with her, she's never gone back in a wheelchair. Wow. And yeah. And she has so much life um, and she's created an initiative to help um, teenagers find alternative health care practitioners. And she's created this whole program just from our work together. And Mm -hmm. so that was really inspiring. And I was like, okay, I'm going to definitely dedicate more of my work to the youth. In one way, I work with um, teens. And with like the fertility, I see women in their 20s to all the way to their 40s who are either just having irregularities in their periods not having a period or are struggling with conception. And the whole idea is I just want women to get in tune with their body. And Mm -hmm. I even support women who are going through IUIs and IVF and um, supporting them so they can still create and conceive in a beautifully conscious way. Mm. And I I do that through nutrition and lifestyle planning and meditation. So I've even created a, a meditation for fertility specifically. Oh, awesome. That's awesome. Wow. Well, so fascinating. And I, I just can't, it's amazing what you've accomplished, you know, and I can't wait to see (laughs) what you continue to do. What was, there was a question I was going to ask you and it just flew out of my head. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Okay. It'll come back to me. I did want to, we've come to the time where I'm going to ask you the three questions I ask every guest and yes. then go into a lightning round of questions. <laughs> I just want to thank you so much for coming out of the show. It's just been a delight talking to you. Oh, thank you. It's thank really you. great. So what do you think about Namisha when you hear the word MILF? Um, I think about this one hot mother friend I have who I totally <laughs> admire and I'm like, oh my God, how does she, how is she like that? <laughs> I won't say her name. But yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Uh, what is something you've changed your mind about recently? Oh, I changed my mind about um, a trip. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. I was asked to go on this beautifully expensive trip and it didn't resonate with me and You know, the 25-year-old me would have said yes, Mm. but the nearly 36-year-old me is like, no, doesn't feel right. Yeah, good. 
How do you define success? Contentment. Um, you know, success is just contentment. When I was so anxious, my baby, I was just trying to be like, trying to be content with like, oh, everyone lived today, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and just trying yeah. to be content and finding um, contentment in the little aspects of life. And that makes for a really full life, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. Lightning round of questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, ocean or desert? Ocean. Favorite junk food? Donuts. Old-fashioned mm-hmm. donuts. Yum. Mm-hmm. Movies or Broadway show? Movies. Daytime sex or nighttime sex? Daytime sex. I'm too tired at night. <laughs> <laughs> Texting or talking? Both. <laughs> uh, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> Cat person or dog person? Dog. Have you ever worn a unitard? Maybe when I was six. <laughs> <laughs> Shower or bathtub? Again, both. I do um, new moon rituals where I create bath salts for myself on the new moon and I take a bath on the full moon. But it's, mm. it's definitely a self uh, self care pleasure. But then shower, showers are good yeah. and they're invigorating. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Ice cream or chocolate? Chocolate ice cream. Oh, great. There you go. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, how good are you at ping pong? Zero. <laughs> What's your biggest pet peeve? Uh, dishonesty. If you could push a button and it would make everyone in the world 7% happier, but it would also place a worldwide ban on all hairstyling products, would you push it? Yes. Hairstyling products are so bad for the environment. <laughs> I love it. Superpower choice. Invisibility, ability to fly, or super strength? Super strength. Would you rather have a penis where your tailbone is or a third eye? Third eye. What was the name of your first pet? I've never had a pet. Oh, what was the name of the street you grew up on? Continental. Continental. So usually this is how I come <laughs> to people's porn names, but since you've never had a pet, mm-hmm. hmm, Continental no is great. I think just Continental is your, your porn name. Just yeah, Continental. Continental. You're just one name. Just like Prince or Madonna. Continental. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to the stage, Continental. Demisha, <laughs> yeah, such a treasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nimisha. Tune in next week for another amazing MILF conversation. Also want to just remind you, quick reminder, This month's give, February, I'm giving $25 for every iTunes review that comes in for MILF Podcast to Lumos, an organization helping children to stay with their loving families. They can be found at wearelumos.org if you want to check them out. And if you haven't yet, grab your free copy of Seven Habits of Baller MILFs on my website milfpodcast.com. I'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening.